from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Cybercrime is the game changer. That's Will Van Gemmert, Deputy Executive Director of Operations at Europol. We've been talking a lot about cybercrime in recent years. It's nothing new. But what is new is that game changer that Will Van Gemmert is talking about, the Cyber Criminals Menu. There are organizations that develop um, a service that you can hire. And there are many things on the menu, including... To have a DDoS attack or, or to have ransomware. So, how does Europol, and by extension the U.S. and the rest of the world, deal with serious cyber problems like that? The answer, coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP. In Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Aside from murder and other crimes that cause human suffering and loss, it's hard to compare other crimes. But there is a new idea emerging when it comes to cyber crime. Criminal organizations who specialize normally in murder in bank robberies, in human trafficking. They're all starting to understand the value of cybercrime when it comes to their business model. Will Van Gammert, Europol's Deputy Executive Director of Operations, was in Washington recently, and we sat down to talk about this pernicious problem, but also several others, including the umbrella issue of organized crime and terrorism. But first... We started off talking about this new a la carte cyber criminal service that's developing. As it goes for the developments in this field, what you see is that we in the European Union uh, see uh, a great amount of organized crime entities, organizations. Last um, report mentioned 5,000 of them being active uh, in different fields of, of crime. Um, the emerging crime you see is, is especially into the drugs issue. That has been increasing during the, the last years very strongly on all fields. Um, for sure, also um, ways of cyber being used, uh, um, crime as a service more or less. What we see in that field is there are organizations that more or less uh, develop um, a service that you can hire, that you can buy uh, to, um, uh, well, to use in your criminal activities. Um, what we also see on the terrorist field is the, um, the, um, well, the activities of foreign fighters. Uh, out of the 40,000 that probably joined ISIS, 5,000 came from the European Union. Uh, some of them are still there, some of them died, and some of them will, remain, will return. That's also an issue that I think we have. So there's a broad spectrum of activities in which we have to support our law enforcement agencies. Let's take uh, each one of those uh, and do a little drill down on, on all of them. From the organized crime point of view, are, are you seeing uh, growth in that area? Uh, are, are you seeing, is it steady uh, or is it uh, reducing? 
Well, in our last uh, assessment, just uh, a few months ago, we didn't did, uh, didn't do the headcount, so to say. So, but what we see is more or less that we see changes within the structure of the organized crime in the different fields. Um, and I think that's an important thing to uh, to uh, mention. Uh, it's it's related to things like a, a stronger international cooperation. Um, the fact that most of the organized crime groups are polycriminal, so they don't go for one business, but for more than one, making use of the opportunity. We have seen this during the migration, migration crisis in Europe, in which uh, organized crime moved from, from drugs into uh, shifting and, and uh, or moving people around. Um, so, um, and also things like geopolitical um, changes have influence and, and having more and more influences. Um, the situation in, in Africa, the, 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 the war zones that, that lead to migration, migration lead to uh, human trafficking. Uh, these are the issues that we are seeing uh, at the moment. Mm. Is the movement of people driving the rest of the business now based on the fact that you see... You know, in 2015, where so many people were moving, there were so many organized crime opportunities. Um, so what's driving the organized crime business now? Well, the situation is quite different than in 2015. There were more than one million people coming to our borders. It's now a little bit more than 100,000. So the, the situation is different. Uh, but at the same time, you see that organized crime is also shifting. So uh, in, the, in the last report, we are mentioning that uh, the risk and, and, and the, the things that we are seeing is that it moves from only uh, bringing people into the European Union into bringing people but using them in, in labor yeah. uh, in, in, in um, labor exploitation more or less to pay uh, out of their debts in more violence also towards the, the migrants we had some incidents in which uh, not only violence against the police but also towards those who were moved uh, into the European Union had to work and uh, were deprived of, of everything so our risk it, it, they still want to make the same money and uh, if it's not in the amount then it's in the way that they do it uh, Mr. Van Gimmert, um, moving to cyber, um, that has been in many, many, many places and in many ways the, the number one issue that many of the law enforcement organizations and people that I've spoken to have 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 mentioned uh, and what they've indicated is that this too is shifting this too is evolving and just by the nature of cyber being a technologically based uh, crime opportunity you know that evolves very quickly yeah. technology allows it to evolve very quickly give me your view on the evolution of cyber crime and how you're evolving to match it well, for sure, cybercrime is the game changer. It has been and it is still the game changer in this field because uh, it gives opportunity to, um, to act in a criminal way just by making use of, of everything that's, that represents cyber. It, it's a, it has a global effect. It's speedy. And the impact is very strongly towards uh, organizations or people. So we see a strong development in there. And, and in, in the past, you could make a difference between, let's say, a script kitty, a hacker, state-sponsored activities. But that picture is not there anymore. You see that, um, as I mentioned, crime as a service that you can order, even if you're not technical, the things you want as a, as a criminal organization uh, to have a DDoS attack or, or to have ransomware. Um, also, cyber is one of the fields in which we make a yearly report. It will be issued soon. There we see that especially ransomware is developing uh, very strongly. It has a big impact on companies and uh, even destructive uh, impact. 
Um, so we have to develop strongly in this field to make sure that we can still protect our society in, 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 in a proper way. Mm-hmm. How do you train your agents and officers on something like this? Because each one is different. Um, and, you know, unlike sending, I guess, a, a rookie or a new agent out with a veteran agent on a, you know, a physical criminal arrest, this is different. So how do you train your team and your people for this kind of activity? Well, Europol has the, the, uh, the opportunity that we can select people from 28 member states so that our agents are coming from, from all over Europe. So we try to find the best ones to work with us. Um, we also, in an organizational way, um, focused on this by creating the European Cybercrime Centre. The focus helps us to make sure that we, we get the right people but also see the developments and can train them. Um, we try also to make clear that in our training programs, the, the, the attention for how to do a, a seizure or how to do an entry in a home, that you are focused on the things that uh, well could be carrier of, of, of information that are. So it's a broad spectrum of activities, and, and, and at least also not to say that we try to get people that have probably not a law enforcement background, but work with law enforcement. The developments in also trying to keep up with... Um, that big changes needs uh, brings also forward the need to make sure that we are able to uh, adjust our products towards that changing need. Uh, so if if there is an uh, investigative activity towards uh, what's happening uh, in Google or Facebook and, and Facebook changes his, his background, then, then we also have to make sure that we have the right uh, proper uh, tooling for this. So it's about finding um, the right people, um, but also making the combination with uh, experienced law enforcement officers. So because only technical or only very experienced officer in the street, that will not do the trick. Mm -hmm. You have to combine them and make sure that they work with each other. You know, one of the things that's very uh, helpful is my, in my understanding of talking to law enforcement professionals and experts like yourself when it comes to dealing with crime is the role that the public plays. Quite often when you're dealing with physical street crime, people see things, people can show you things. But in cyber, it's different. Are you able to leverage the public the same way? Well, actually, that's a good point because also as an organization, we want to be innovative and proactive and, and, and going for, let's say, the, um, the latest opportunity. So we are investing in, in what we call crowdsource knowledge. One of the things that we have been putting up uh, as an example is uh, an EU most wanted list in which we uh, didn't exist in the European Union in which we are um, asking the public to help us. Since two years that has been done um, on that list uh, many people were on there but uh, more than 150 um, more than 60 of them have been arrested 19 with the help of the public. Mm-hmm. Another example I would like to mention is that we use crowdsourcing also for cases that are on, in a dead end street uh, related to a sexual abuse. Um, we got a lot of cases in this in which at the end we are not able to uh, really uh, pinpoint where this is happening and, and what is the background of this. So we ask our uh, law enforcement agencies to come up with those uh, cases in which there is a, well, it's about pictures, pictures in which it, there is always a background. And in that background you see some things like uh, um, uh, a landscape or something like uh, uh, a wallpaper or, or anything that could be identified. Um, what we are doing now since a year is putting um, uh, in, in a regular form uh, 20 pictures of that background. So you don't see any abuse, but you only see the background. And we are asking the public 
um, trace an object, save a child. That's the name of the, the website. So we're asking the public, help us to identify this object. Because I'm, when I'm living in, in, in Belgium, I probably don't know what kind of products are produced in Finland or in, in Asia or anyway. So by doing so, and uh, putting this on the web, after we published it, we were also sure that people were positive about this, they want to help in this field. We got more than 20,000 emails back wow. uh, in trying to identify this. And the good thing is they put a lot of effort in there and they're going and searching that kind of stuff on the Internet. Mm -hmm. And they bring back towards us the proof because they find it and say, well, this object looks like this object. Have a look. So we were, not, never, we were never thinking that we would solve cases, but we would pinpoint it's, it's quite a difference if you have to look into 190 countries or in one or two countries. But we ended up with solving cases. So uh, nine children have been um, uh, saved but because of that activity. Two people have been arrested. Um, and the other good thing is that we mobilized also um, databases in which we are not aware of. Mm -hmm. um, we were also supported by uh, something like an organization like Bellingcat, probably uh, known to you. Yes. They, they, um, they thought this is a good initiative and they adopted uh, 12 of those pictures. Within two weeks, all of them were identified. Reddit, as another other organization, uh, put it also made it public, uh, also supporting this. So, yes, I think there is a lot of thing to do with, with crowd knowledge, crowdsourcing, um, and we are experimenting this, and, and it's giving us great results. Moving on to terrorism, you've mentioned um, the 5,000 uh, people that went to join ISIS, and some of them, they're in different places now, yeah. you know, so it's not clear where they are. But first, let me ask you, um, what do you see in terms of the terror threat picture uh, in, uh, in, in the Europol area of operations now since the so-called caliphate collapsed and mm -hmm. so-called disappeared? Well, it keeps a story that I'm, I'm repeating, saying that we will uh, publish a, a, a report soon. <laughs> That's also um, our yearly assessment on the threat picture for terrorism. We'll come out uh, uh, directly after summer. Um, looking at that, if you look at the, the trends, we see that um, the amount of attacks has gone down. Uh, it's not only about jihadist attacks, but also separatist attacks and left and right wing extremism. But the jihadist attacks have gone down. Um, seven were committed during uh, 2018 in the European Union um, uh, with um, casualties, but less than in the past. And more attacks have been followed, followed by uh, law enforcement and intelligence service. Um, out of those seven, uh, also to be clear, uh, all of them were committed by people that were already in the European Union. Mm -hmm. So we have two uh, security risks still. Those foreign fighters that, that uh, already have returned or will return in the future because of the, the situation in the conflict zone. And the radicalization uh, in, um, uh, in our countries itself for people that feel motivated or, or supported by the activities. At the same time, what we also say is that we see the risk of upcoming, uh, especially right-wing uh, extremism, as a reaction towards the situation in the European Union or in, into the world. So um, uh, that's a picture that we are facing, and, and, and we are trying with increase, uh, increasing of, of protecting borders, increasing uh, new regulation on, on travel, uh, but also increasing activities of the cooperation with uh, United States and, and, and intelligence services to uh, find an answer towards this uh, this issue. What kind of tactics are you seeing these groups 
these organizations or people that are, that are engaged and involved in terrorist adopting. Uh, in the past, as you know, um, they were very focused on big, spectacular attacks. And then when the world caught up to that and began to focus on uh, stopping them, they started to simplify them. And then it got to the point, well, you know, just pick up a rock or push someone off a building or something. What, what trends are you seeing now as far as terrorist groups go? Well, we still see the willingness of of, uh, criminal, of uh, terrorist organization to commit this kind of te- attacks, but it, it needs a lot of preparation and a lot of um, facilities also to be organized. So it's, it has become more difficult for them because of, I think, also the measures that have been taken. So indeed, there is a call um, to, um, well, do it at home uh, just by the way that you are able to do so and there's not much needed, a knife or, or, or a car. We have seen this in, in the past also much more difficult for law enforcement to react to. Um, I think where we are focusing on is also and one of the, the results of, of, of developing the European uh, uh, Terrorist uh, Centre is to also focus on the, on the role of internet once again and, and the way radicalization uh, takes place. I think we have a much more better understanding of the infrastructure, of the way that people are getting motivated um, and also in that way, I think uh, it's more, more easy to react towards this. Uh, but still, um, as you say, uh, there's not much needed to, to do something like this. And it's difficult to protect uh, in any way or in all the ways um, uh, our citizens for that kind of attack. The groups, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, um, other groups that have been in the past very, very popular and in some cases very powerful... Um, have you seen that? Uh, are they maintaining their status or have things changed significantly as far as the order of importance of these organizations? Well, I think uh, if you look at ISIS or Daesh or whatever you call it, I think they, um, because of the activity of, of the coalition forces, the, their, their physical caliphate has, has diminished more or less. Um, we see the trend of a virtual caliphate, so we'll keep on uh, trying to come towards uh, uh, supporters all over the world. What's the risk of, of moving the, the physical one into the uh, uh, more Asian uh, part of the world? That's what we see. I think Al-Qaeda had always a different approach um, and is still powerful, has been joined also in, in, uh, in certain regions of the, um, the African continent, um, uh, but in a, in a different way, also in the way that they are, are looking towards uh, the role of, of, of um, fighters, the role of women. Uh, we see some differences in there, but it's still uh, uh, a substantial uh, organization, uh, even more substantial than, than ISIS is because of the activities that have been taken for this, mm-hmm. and with a more physical presence than, than ISIL uh, has for the moment. Um, a few more questions. Um, the relationship with the U.S. has always been important, and no doubt it still is. Um, Characterized to me... What the most important element of that relationship is at this moment and yeah. th- at this time? Indeed, it's important. And, and it's, it, it took some time, I think, for our colleagues uh, here um, uh, having their uh, way of, of reacting or acting and or engaging with the European Union, in which they built it from, for years on the bilateral uh, cooperation with stations in every country with working in this. Europol is a different organization. We are a platform organization, so we create a different environment. And just just to give you the overview of how this changed, back in 2014 when I started at Europol, we had eight permanent liaison officers from the United States. 
At this moment, we have 31 accredited, of which 21 are permanent in our office. Uh, they represent 13 different agencies uh, of, of the law enforcement community over here. The amount of information exchange between 2014 and 2018 has increased 600%. There are almost 700 cases started with, uh, with the inter interference of Europol and with a connection with the European Union. Um, I, and that's a big achievement, I think, because it's, it's recognized that for sure there should be bilateral uh, relations. But our society, and you mentioned cyber, um, is asking for different ways of cooperating. In the same way as, as, as uh, entities like Uber or, or BNB are developing very strongly without having their own uh, houses or their own uh, cars, they make the connection. And, and if you want to summarize what Europol is doing, there are five important Cs, as I call it. It's about collecting information, so we are building databases on criminal effects. We are connecting criminal activities, but also people and law enforcement officers. We are coordinating, trying to make sure that we do things in the right way and that it has the most effect. Um, we are forming coalitions with, well, the public, as I mentioned, but also with the industry. And finally, we create new ways of investigations by setting up task forces or, or um, making use of new forms like facial recognition. So, and in that way, I think we, we as law enforcement are adjusting also to the, to the new society in which borders are becoming uh, less important than they were in the past. What are the challenges that Europol faces uh, in every respect of its work uh, or in the most important aspects of its work? Um, obviously, there are, sometimes there are transatlantic challenges, some of them that come up uh, from a political point of view. Mm -hmm. um, but then sometimes there are you know, actual uh, challenges that come up because of the threats yeah. and the organizations out there. What, 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 what would you say are the most important challenges at this time? Well, just answering to your question, if, I think um, there can be competition on trade, but there cannot be competition on security, so there has to be uh, a co cooperation in this field, and I think that's felt by, by, by police officers that we have to increase in this. Having a steady information exchange and adopting different structures towards the new situation, like I mentioned before, that's a very big challenge, I think. Uh, technology is a challenge also for us, big data, uh, artif artificial intelligence, not always as a threat, but also in how to use it. Because I think we all agree that in, in a uh, in, um, democratic society, also law enforcement has to uh, re, um, uh, no, has to make sure that the proof that has been given is, can be reconstructed. And artif artificial, artificial intelligence, um, uh, in which we try to, to improve our uh, work and, and the security situation, makes that sometimes difficult because it's a black box. So setting up new structures, how to make use of technology, how to be innovative, how to involve the public, have a steady information exchange built on trust, uh, also within the law enforcement community, um, these are all kinds of challenges that we are facing. So what have I not asked you about that you think is important as we look at the, the future of crime, the future of uh, the relationship between the U.S., uh, the technology? Is there any area that I haven't touched on that you think is important that you'd like our listeners to hear from you on? 
No, I think we touched upon a lot, upon a lot of uh, topics. Um, how to involve, um, probably that is something we didn't touch so much on, that uh, uh, security is not delivered only by law enforcement. It's, it's a responsibility of the society, especially also of public and private firms. Uh, we try to invest into that uh, common responsibility. So my, my, my uh, takeaway is not that, uh, well, public-private partnership is good, but it's not good enough. Uh, what is needed is an extra P. It's public-private partnership and participation. We should do things together, make also the industry responsible for security, uh, and find a way in which we, with all oversight and all accountability, we can exchange information. Um, and that's a difficulty for the moment, but I think we have to overcome this to make sure that um, the security will increase in the future. Mr. Van Gerben, thank you so much. I do appreciate your time and your expertise. You're welcome. Thank you. Will Van Gemmert, Deputy Executive Director of Operations at Europol. Cyber is a big issue, and it's a big issue beyond Europol. Europol is an umbrella organization for law enforcement agencies in the EU. One of the EU's members is Estonia. And coming up in our next program, we'll examine a more detailed problem. That the main question is, how can we control the technology that we use and the technology that our information society is built on? That's the main question. That is Raoul Rick, National Cybersecurity Policy Director at Estonia's Ministry of Economy and Communications. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. I appreciate your time. If you have any questions about our program, send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa, jgreen at wtop.com. Also, follow us on Twitter, at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast, at TUSA Podcast. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And one other thing, Check out my national security email. It's a weekly roundup of the latest national security and international security happenings around the world. You can sign up for it at WTOP.com slash alerts. I'm JJ Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. As the FIFA Women's World Cup gears up for an exciting final match, Get the best coverage with Sports Like a Boss on Podcast One Sportsnet. Join three-time Olympian Holly McPeak and sports broadcaster Anne-Marie Anderson as they analyze the biggest stories and scandals with some amazing guests. Go for the gold and download new episodes of Sports Like a Boss every week on Apple Podcast and Podcast One Sportsnet. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. 
Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 smart bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 special edition smart bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.